Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. And then showing and rather than telling, you know, I think this applies um, whether it's, you know, your ability to show um, customer feedback, traction, a demo of what you built, um, any, anywhere where you can show rather than telling is going to be a lot stronger and helpful um, when you're looking at a company. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real-world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hi, everyone. As Shannon mentioned, my name is Kindrel. I'm a senior associate at Blockchain Capital. Um, I'm focused there on specifically investing in the blockchain industry as well as in crypto assets. I've been there for about two years, and prior to that, I was in Boston where I worked at Fidelity Investments. I was part of the um, the consulting and strategy group there, and I was uh, lucky enough to work with the team on both blockchain initiatives as well as some asset management projects. Um, and as Monsi mentioned, I was also um, a little bit, you know, getting involved with the blockchain community there, and um, I'm very much uh, a fan of um, all of the the women in blockchain initiatives all over. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And so today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the the process of basically crafting your pitch. A lot of uh, my experience over the past two years has been focused on more of a technical sector. So a lot of the pictures that I see are technical. So I'll spend a little bit of time talking about that. Um, and I'm also focused more on early stage investing. So some of the um, some of the sort of advice and tips that I have might be a little bit more geared towards early stage investing, but I think are broadly applicable. Um, so without further ado, today I'm just going to cover a couple of different things. So first, I'll talk a little bit about how you approach investing. Um, sorry, how you approach uh, fundraising in general. So there's a couple of different approaches out there, and then I'll get into the pitch more specifically. Um, some tips on how to sort of land a technical pitch and then also just broader um, broader advice around the pitch deck as well and some of the materials associated with it. There's a plethora of advice and information on pitch decks out there so it can be a little bit challenging to sort of navigate um, some of the the advice that's out there. There's just a, a whole lot so I hope this helps clarify some things. Um, it's certainly representative of my perspective and, and my experiences and so it's definitely more art than science but hopefully um, I can kind of cut through some of the, the excess information. So to start, um, sprint versus marathon. So this is kind of something that I've um, coined in my head, or maybe I picked this up along the way, but there are two approaches to fundraising with uh, venture capitalists. The first is the sprint method, and the second is marathon. And on the sprint side, some folks, um, this is where some folks suggest you fundraise in a really short period of time and you treat it like a sprint. So you kind of aim to have your fundraising done within a say two to four week cycle or whatever seems appropriate given how much capital you're trying to raise and, and where you're trying to raise it from. Um, and you do this um, over uh, a shorter period of time to create some sense of urgency behind your, your round, right? When, when you're talking to a bunch of people at the same time, it can help create this sense of FOMO. Um, and it's something that investors fall in love with, you know, a lot more. FOMO is everyone's um, subject to that sort of sensation. So that's one approach. And then the second approach is taking more of a marathon approach. And 
this is basically where you build a relationship or a couple of different relationships with investors over time and sort of cultivate this by providing them updates, um, whether that's on your product launch or what you're sort of building. And then over time, um, sort of bringing them along with you in the process before starting to raise capital. Some, some folks say that this leads to stronger relationships with their investors. However, um, this can also, of course, take a lot longer time. So I think there's benefits and trade-offs to both approaches. And it really is, you know, not a one size fits all kind of a kind of a solution, but I bring up both because I think they're really important to how you think about fundraising. So if you're considering um, raising a seed round for a project that you're doing, I think it's really important to identify which approach you're going to start with or try. Um, that way you can sort of find the right investors, um, identify your goals and, and the process that you wanna take and then prepare accordingly. And of course, preparation, you know, everyone is going to prepare, but I think it differs depending on which approach you will take. So I'll just go one by one really quickly, just to sort of demonstrate what I mean by this. So if you were to take the sprint approach, um, preparation is going to include, you know, researching investors, lining up potential warm introductions, or perhaps if you want to cold email them, um, you can, you know, line up some, some of the emails that you want to send out there and really try to stack your meetings so that they're, you know, going to all fall into a exact window of say two weeks or something like that. Um, and when you're doing this, there's, there's less room for uh, error when it comes to your deck, when it comes to your pitch, everything kind of needs to be polished and ready to go right before you start. Whereas a marathon, it takes a little bit more of a workshopping approach. You're, you're talking to investors, you're sharing your ideas with them. You might be iterating in some ways, iterating, iterating your pitch as you go. Um, and, and this process can drag on a little bit. And so of course your time is valuable. So just be cognizant of how, you know, how much of a marathon it actually is. Um, but there's, there's definitely sort of these two, I think, large school of thoughts of, of how you can go about doing it. And when you're trying to find the right investors, I would really do some research and homework around, you know, what types of investors are you looking for? Do you want angel investors? Do you want them to be a little bit more, um, strategic folks who can help you out with uh, recruiting or marketing or PR, what's, what's kind of like the, the crux of what you're looking for, um, in terms of value add, particularly because these investors are going to be on your cap table and you want to make sure that you are optimizing for your goals and, and what your needs are. So this is just kind of high level. I think how I think about the fundraising process, if I were in, in a founder's shoes and, and sort of identifying all these things beforehand, um, is super important. So this is a little bit of um, the before, and then I'm going to now move into the during the actual pitch itself and, and some things that I've learned and seen over the past couple of years. So storytelling is, is really an art. Um, and I've seen this come true um, in, in a lot of different ways over the past couple of years. So I've probably sat in on now um, a couple, you know, maybe a hundred pitches, maybe more than that over the past two years. And you start to see some patterns and trends of what's working and, and what might not be working as well. And at the end of the day, when you walk into um, a pitch, there's a couple of things that I think people are really, investors are really looking for. So first is to make it personal. I think this is something that folks um, sometimes think that, you know, investors are really looking for the data and they really want to see, you know, a lot about the market trends um, and, 
and a little bit more of like a business case for what you're building rather than a personal story. And I think the personal story is really what resonates in the room. So when I say personal story, I mean, you know, how did you kind of come to where you are today? Why are you building this particular product or company? And how does it like fit into your background and um, what problems that you're, you're passionate about? So I would really say don't sacrifice the emotion for data. I think both are important, but just be cognizant of the fact that if you can kind of make it more personal and connect with the investors on some level um, and relate it back to your background, it's going to resonate a lot more, um, or it's, it's going to resonate, you know, in a more meaningful way, I think, than simply presenting a bunch of, um, a bunch of data and, and trends, which is important as well, but potentially not, um, not the same impact. And then the third thing, exude energy. I know this, it sounds like an obvious statement, but, um, you know, I can't stress how much body language and eye contact and being really excited about what you're building can change the mood in the room. You can kind of tell within the first five minutes that, you know, a founder is really excited about what they're doing. And I can, I, I can totally understand that it's exhausting, right? You might walk into a pitch and it could be your 15th or 20th pitch that you've given that week. And it's really hard to seem super excited about what you're, what, you know, the pitch that you're giving. And, and I have so much respect for everyone doing this, but I think the, the energy aspect really can change the room's sort of overall um, mood and feel. So I highly recommend bringing that attitude to every pitch that you can. And then also just allocating your time. And this is something that I think people um, often struggle with where they really wanna include all the information that they can in a pitch meeting, right? This is your 30 minutes in front of an investor. Like, let's try to get it all in. Before you go into the room, I would urge you to sort of write down, say three to five things where if you, you know, if you can only say three to five things to the investor, what would that be? And make sure that you hit those points. Um, specifically, you know, I think folks tend to over index on things like their, their background and their bio. You know, I've had 30 minute pitches where a founder might spend 10 minutes talking about their, their background and how they got to what, what it is that they're doing. And while that can be super interesting and, um, you know, useful in terms of contextualizing, contextualizing what you're doing, it can of course be a little bit challenging just from a time perspective, right? If you only have 30 minutes to cover everything. Um, and then the last thing that I would say that, you know, I, I think people um, sometimes unknowingly do is it, you're going to iterate on your pitch. It's not going to be perfect the first time, um, at least for most people, it will be perfect. So if you have the opportunity to time, you know, maybe your uh, top investors, you that you want to land meetings with, time those so that they're a little bit later in your process. Don't make your first pitches your dream investors. Um, leave a little bit of room for error. And, and I know that's not always possible, but when it is, that, you know, I think can be beneficial so that you've had time to kind of smooth out any kinks that you might have um, before that. So when you're actually in the room um, with the investor or in the Zoom rather with the investor, what are some of the thoughts that are going through the investor's mind? So there's a few questions and I know everybody kind of talks about these big questions, but I'm just gonna go through each one and break down what I think we're, um, we're thinking about when, I, when I'm in a pitch. So what problem are you solving? This is of course the most obvious um, sort of starting point of 
you know, I'm building something, I'm building X and I'm, the reason I'm building it is to solve this problem. The, the word of caution I would, I would just suggest here is to ensure that you're, it's clear that you're solving a specific problem and not all the problems. So to bring this to life a little bit more, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing, if you're building something related to say the financial stack, um, many teams come in and they say, you know, we've envisioned an entirely new financial stack top to bottom. And, you know, it's going to revolutionize the way that um, infrastructure works and payments work and all, all these sorts of things. And I think that vision is great, but from sort of a, a day one perspective, it's really important to have a honed in problem that you're solving and, and why you are the right person to, to go out and solve a specific thing. So I would try to narrow in on a problem. Um, of course, how big is the market? So everybody talks about market size being really important and demonstrating that um, the market is not only big, but growing. You know, VC, at the end of the day, um, these are investors who are looking to make a return on their investments. And so they really need to believe that these are markets where you can kind of grow a billion dollar business. What I would, um, what I found to be really useful is instead of simply talking about how big the market is and some of the growth trends, I would also include dynamics in the market that you think are uniquely um, advantageous to what you are building. So perhaps an example for this would be, um, I talked to a lot of folks who are building in the blockchain gaming sector. A lot of them you know, point out the size of the gaming market, how people are moving, um, moving to online gaming and are constantly uh, buying these digital skins and buying digital assets. I think all of that is really helpful in terms of contextualizing that this is a really interesting opportunity, but perhaps some of the dynamics at play might be more useful to an investor to understand why digital assets could be a good use case here. So understanding secondary transactions to the extent that you can, or understanding consumer behavior in terms of how many people are buying Fortnite, you know, skins, um, or whatever, whatever dynamic it is, you know, deplatforming de of gaming influencers, something that can kind of help you better understand what the dynamics are within this market that help you, um, that are advantageous to you. And then third, so why are you the right person to build this? I think this is a tough question, um, but I think to the extent that you can sort of exemplify why you know, this problem is something either you are uniquely positioned to solve or something that you've been really passionate about for a long period of time um, and that you've demonstrated interest for. I think those, that goes a long way, particularly with early stage investing. Oftentimes, um, you know, I'm, we're investing in a company that is pre-product uh, or pre-revenue. And so being able to have that conviction and um, excitement about this being the right team is important. And I know that sounds a little squishy, but I think it really comes across between, um, you know, passion and demonstrated interest as well as background and skill set that you bring to the table. So fourth, how have you validated this idea? Um, I think from an investor perspective, it's great to, you know, show rather than tell. And, and I'll say this a couple of times throughout the presentation, but to the extent that you can show that, you know, this is a real problem, that users are asking for this, that's going to help, um, help bring the investor along in terms of, you know, not only is this a problem, but it's a problem that people are, are asking for a solution. And then lastly, why should I invest? So if I'm coming into the room, I think 
your goal is to, at the end of 30 minutes or 45 minutes, the, the goal is to really have the investor saying, oh yeah, this is a really interesting investment opportunity and I want to know more. Um, I need to go dig into X thing or from a um, opportunity perspective, this could be really big, solving a really big problem or filling a really big hole in the market. I would just kind of put on that lens of it's less, why should I go build this, but more, why should I invest? Um, and often the two are the same, but I think it just requires a slightly different lens when you're talking to, um, when you're talking to an investor and you're, if you were sitting in their seat and what they're thinking about. So I hope this is helpful. These are, this is what I would kind of want to come away from if at the end of the pitch, I was talking to a, a founder, I would love to have the answers to these questions and then be able to then go do some more um, diligence and ask some more questions. But this is kind of at a minimum what I really want to walk away from the conversation knowing. So getting technical. Um, so as Shana mentioned, I have a uh, degree in quantitative economics. So I'm definitely a little bit more math oriented, but I'm not a programmer and I don't have, you know, a, a ton of computer science knowledge. But that being said, I do sit in technical pitches, you know, 99% of time, um, given the focus on the blockchain industry. And so there's a couple of things that I think work really well for technical pitches. Um, things that I think folks sometimes underestimate the power of. So First, explain it like I'm five. Um, this is self-explanatory uh, to a certain extent, but some of the best pitches that I've seen have really started out first and foremost with a high level, like a 50,000 foot view of what is the most important thing that you need to understand about the technology, what problem it's solving, um, and how it works at a really, really high level. And I think you know, people sometimes fall into the trap of using jargon or using language that might, you know, the investor might not be familiar with, even if they are technical, simply because they might not know the specifics of what you're building. And that's when you start to lose folks in the room, when um, you're using too much vocabulary that is a little, uh, you know, is a little bit opaque, or they just might not know exactly what you're talking about. And I think the best way to demonstrate that you really understand the space that you're building in is if you can explain it like I'm like I'm five. Um, to me, you know, when you keep it simple, that's, that shows that you really understand the mechanics of how it works and then peel back the onion. So then kind of go into more specifics on the technology and how, um, you know, how, a you know, how some of the incentives of the protocol work or whatever it is that you're, whatever it is that you're talking about, I think you can go into a layer deeper as the conversation progresses. And I think what I would um, suggest as a potential exercise is you can practice this by saying, okay, let me try to explain what I'm building from a technological perspective in three minutes, in 10 minutes, and then in 20 minutes and kind of have these like, you know, almost like practice pitches of the tech in, in, you know, three, 10 and 20. And that way, you know, um, that you can still sort of communicate the most important information given the amount of time that you have and the amount of detail and depth that you want to go into. Um, but that way you're not, you know, you're not always just diving straight into the weeds, which I think is, is one of the toughest parts of, of, a, of a technical pitch. Um, and then in terms of contextualizing the tech, so I think this is something that um, I've seen founders do extremely well. And I've also seen founders, you know, struggle with a little bit more where when I say contextualize the tech, I really mean, um, you know, use examples if you can, use use cases, 
talk about maybe the competitive landscape and how your technology is a little bit differentiated from some of the competitors. Use analogies if you can. Basically try to bring the investor along with how they might think about your technology in the broader landscape, both from um, what else is out there, but also with in, from uh, how you can use the technology. So for example, one of our portfolio companies is a company called UMA. Um, I think the founder might have actually been um, on one of the Women in Blockchain talks previously, Allison, she's awesome. And so when they first kind of came in and pitched us, um, I was reading the white paper and I was talking to them and you know, they're, they're basically building derivatives on, on chain. They're building derivatives that are built on um, a protocol called Ethereum. And from a technical perspective, there was a lot to you know, understand both about financial derivatives, but also how this would work in, in the context of a blockchain. And what they did throughout their white paper was they included examples of how you might be able to use these derivative contracts in, say, the developing world, or how you might be able to use it to create an insurance product. Um, they had like five or six of these use cases. And I loved that from a, an experience perspective of someone who's not extremely technical, going through all the details, but then bringing it back to a higher level and saying, here's how this might be applicable. Um, was really helpful. And I would urge, you know, anyone who's building something really technical to kind of take this approach. And I think it'll resonate really well. And then lastly, visuals help. Um, you know, if you can put together some sort of diagram to explain what you're, what you're walking through. I'm a visual learner. I know lots of people are visual learners and it can kind of be helpful to focus your eyes on something as you're, you know, understanding and hearing about the technology. So if possible, I would definitely urge you to, to include a visual. So I kind of walked through a little bit of, you know, before the pitch and then actually getting into the room, some of the things that you might want to cover and then technical um, tips just in terms of how to put together um, more of a technical pitch. And now I just want to walk through a couple of examples and things that I've heard from or things that I've seen rather from reviewing decks. So this is more about how to build a pitch deck itself. So this is a graphic, it's a little bit outdated now, it's probably a few years old, but this was put out by Docsend. And so Docsend is like a pretty popular um, presentation viewing uh, software, actually quite controversial. I think there's a lot of people who hate it or love it, but essentially a lot of founders will use Docsend to send out their pitch decks. And when you look at a, a pitch deck, it actually tracks how long you spend um, looking at the slides. And it also kind of keeps track of how long, um, you know, folks are, how, how long their materials are and then how long it might take for them to actually like close a deal. And there's a few other stats that are out there um, from different sources, but I thought this was just kind of a helpful way to anchor what the fundraising process might look like. So, um, you know, on the left, this talks about 58 investors being contacted, 40 meetings, and it took about 12 and a half weeks to close 1.3 million um, in capital on average. So I think just from a um, shots on goal perspective, I think it's helpful to know that, you know, walking into it, you might need to talk to say 40 investors or 30 investors or whatever that, you know, magic number is. Um, I think just preparing to, to be able to um, talk to as many folks as you need to talk to, which can, I know it can be a grind, but just sort of level setting some expectations in terms of what, what the, t the process typically looks like. But then when we're thinking about the deck, it says 19 pages on average. I think that's pretty much in line with what I've seen. 
but it says three minutes and 44 seconds is the visit time. Um, and I thought the stat was actually really surprising. I thought it was a lot lower than, than what I was expecting. And I'm sure there's a few discrepancies, but I think the point is investors are probably going to look at your deck, um, for, you know, less than five minutes initially. And in less than five minutes, they kind of need to walk away saying, okay, I want to learn more about this company. Um, and I think that's fair. You know, I think if you're looking at a cup, you know, say 20, 30, 40 decks a week, um, you're probably not going to spend more than five or 10 minutes to kind of get an initial impression before you dig a little bit deeper. And so the way that I think about pitch decks is um, you sort of optimize for the minimum amount of time needed to understand all the content, but then be able to, uh, you know, allow um, a viewer to then dive a little bit deeper into the details if they want to. So here's kind of an outline of what the deck could look like. Um, I think this is very sort of standard in terms of things that you should include in a deck overall. And, you know, there's a lot of um, resources online that can kind of help you with structuring and, and what order things should go in. But at the end of the day, I think you need to talk about your problem, your product and solution, business model, um, your team, market, you know, why now or why you're the right person to kind of go after this and then competition and financials. And I would kind of bucket the technology portion under product and solutions to spend a little bit of time talking about what tech um, you've specifically built in the context of say if it's blockchain or, or something else. Um, and I think this sort of framework works fairly well. Uh, I've seen, you know, some of the most um, compelling decks kind of cover these things and even um, not much more than this. And I think they're still able to kind of get across everything that they need to uh, communicate with an investor. And so I think the three principles that I really look for are first, keeping it simple. So that's the, the sort of KISS methodology. Um, I think it might stand for keep it simple, stupid. I'm not sure. I think that might be what the last S is. But basically, I think when you can simplify your slides, please, please do. Um, it would be, I think, Sometimes folks think of pitch decks as decks that are a little bit more reading decks. Um, and they're somewhere in between a presentation and a reading deck. I think there should be words on the page and you should of course walk um, the investor through whoever is viewing the deck. The, they should be able to sort of come away with an understanding of what the problem is and what the product is. But at the same time, if there's too many words on the page or too much complexity, you're gonna lose them. Um, so I would really try to narrow it down to like, what is the one point I want to make per slide? Um, maybe two points max, but like one to two points per slide that I really want to communicate. And that way you are able to hone in on the points and then ensure that it also stands alone. So um, a trick that we used to do when I was uh, back in my consulting days at Fidelity is we would just take, remove all the slide content and just read the headlines. Um, and make sure that the headlines, if you only have that information, you could still kind of piece together what you're doing. I think that that could also stand here, or you know, if not the headline, then like the one bullet point or two bullet points that you would want to make sure are on the slide. Kind of leave that and put that all on the page and see, can I still sort of understand what the, what the company is doing, what they're building. And then showing and rather than telling, you know, I think this applies um, whether it's you know, your ability to show um, customer feedback, traction, a demo of what you've built, um, any, anywhere where you can show rather than telling is going to be a lot stronger and helpful um, when you're looking at a company. And then just a few do's and don'ts um, of things that I've seen work and potentially not. So 
definitely use numbers past and future. So if you have any numbers for traction and if you have any financial projections or future projections of how growth might look like, I would urge you to try to include these. You know, sometimes if you're really early stage, it can be tough because you might not have anything launched yet. Um, and that's okay. But I think to the extent that you can include data, I would really try to and data as it relates to what you're building. Um, I think that's just always helpful. Um, Use the appendix to your advantage. So as I mentioned, you know, the main deck should be short and concise, but if you want to use the appendix to, to address all and any questions that you think might come up, that like, you know, that's a perfect place to do that. In fact, you know, if I'm looking at a deck, I might spend five or 10 minutes on the actual, you know, upfront deck, but then later on when I'm preparing for our meeting or when I'm doing follow-ups afterwards, you know, I'll spend a lot more time in the appendix particularly if there's details around, um, let's say the technical architecture and the technical details of what you're building or financial projections, um, use of funds, any, any sort of extra material that you think would be helpful for an investor to kind of know, I would stick it in the appendix. And then I think customization is helpful. Um, one of the biggest ways I've seen folks customize when they're raising for a blockchain focused company is sometimes you'll be talking to the blockchain capitals of the world, Sometimes you'll be talking to, say, a more of a generalist fund, so a Sequoia um, or a benchmark or something. And I think there's um, a varying level in terms of in-depth knowledge of blockchain technology. Not to say that you know someone at Sequoia doesn't know the market well, but they might just not know it quite as well if they don't spend all their time doing that. So I've seen folks customize their decks according to that sort of um, audience. And then on the don'ts, um, don't, you know, don't try to address everything. I think I've probably said this a couple of times now, but yeah, just really try to hone in on, you know, what are the most important things that you need to know and make sure you don't bury that punch, punch line. Um, and then the last thing is don't use too much jargon. I think this is so important, both in uh, blockchain pitches, um, any sort of technical pitch, if you're doing something in AI, whatever it may be, the use of jargon, even if I understand the jargon is going to drive the investor away. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen a pitch where there's so much jargon that I, I find it really hard to kind of decipher what exactly you're saying. And that's an automatic, um, a little bit of a turnoff, right? Because I'm just, you're making me work really hard to understand what, ex what exactly it is that you want to do. And it's, um, it can be a little bit of a distraction. So yeah, those are kind of my high level do's and don'ts. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you are, you know, really clear about what you're building, why you're building it, why you think it's going to be a really interesting opportunity, that will come across. And you just, um, it's really just a matter of how you organize the information to make sure that that's, that's really clear. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.